it is my pleasure. Dr. Karin holds a PhD in Talmud from Tel Aviv University on the topic of Jews of blemish um, lineage in Hebrew literature. Currently, she is a visiting scholar at New York University, and she is a Rothschild postdoctoral fellow. In addition to Grisha, she has taught at Yeshiva Hadar, Ilan University, and the, and the Paideia Institute in Stockholm. She, ha she has learned previously in Midrash at Lindenbaum, in Miguel Oz, and Grisha in Matan. Um, she is a she was a student at Hebrew University, and she, as well as a fellow at the Shalom Hartman Institute. And her current research project is focusing on the culture of study and examination of the personal behavior of rabbis in rabbinic literature. Um, uh, the, her series, The Rabbinic Traditions of Personal Behavior and New Window in Halakha, is a three-class series starting tonight and extending for the next two weeks. And we're, glad to, we're really glad to have her. <laughs> Thank you so much for the introduction. Um, so um, it's really nice to be here at Risha. Uh, if um, people, I would love to see people's faces as much as I could. Um, uh, and um, uh, so I don't, I don't know exactly how many people are watching, and also there might be people joining in uh, watching this uh, after this is happening. So I'm gonna open with a question that uh, you can kind of think about in your minds, um, uh, which is when was the last time that you uh, observed um, uh, visually um, the personal practice or habit um, of a different individual? Um, and this individual could have been um, uh, a stranger, a colleague, a friend, a teacher, um, and this could have been a habit or, uh, or just a one-time thing. Um, when, just when you're thinking about it, just um, uh, when was the last time that you noticed a certain action that someone did? Um, so I will tell about myself that the last time I uh, looked at the personal behavior of a certain individual um, was today at around four when I was riding the subway back uh, home. I uh, looked around me and I, as usual, examined people's faces to see who was wearing a mask on the subway and who was not. Um, so um, uh, that is to say uh, that uh, COVID has brought into our lives kind of an interesting um, case of uh, um, small, minute habits and actions that are embodied um, and are not, don't have to do with halakha. Um, and they are uh, somewhat uh, normative in a sense. Um, and um, in the halachic context, I think that's something that, um, at least for myself, I'll say that it is something that is more, um, that I'm less aware of um, when I am looking at what other people are doing or what teachers of mine um, are doing. But it's something that uh, if we think about um, um, I think that other people, not only me, um, observe people's practices all the time um, uh, without us thinking about like 
uh, what sponge they use on Shabbat, um, what, uh, uh, what food they put on the plata. Um, did their bathroom have cut toilet paper or not cut toilet paper? Um, this is just for my own, uh, maybe those are my musings. Um, I'm learning a little about right now. So, um, but, uh, but there might be other kinds of uh, habits and behaviors and actions and um, just kind of observances in the home um, that uh, people, um, I think, notice uh, and are just aware of um, in our observance of halacha um, and, um, uh, and in general, an observance of Jewish life uh, more broadly. Um, so this, uh, what's interesting is that this is uh, a central part of rabbinic uh, culture. Um, as we will see in um, uh, all of rabbinic literature and the Mishnah and the Tosefta, and most especially in the Bavri and Yerushalmi. Um, but not only are rabbis um, kind of examining each other and observing each other, but their behavior is also a source of study. It's a source of Torah, in a sense. Um, the small things that they did. Um, and I brought some examples for today. Um, each week we'll see some different kinds of examples. Um, so the set of examples that I brought today, um, most of them are around Rebi Rabbi Udanasi, um, uh, uh, who compiled the Mishnah from the, um, and marks the end of the Tanaitic period, time of the Tanaim, um, uh, at around the end of the second century. And we will see how small exactly um, his uh, behavior and habits are observed and how much they become a part of Torah study. Um, so, um, but before we dive into these uh, examples, I just want to start with a more broad example um, that is kind of a um, uh, will be a starting point for us. I'm going to share the screen in case people don't have the source sheet. Uh, so I made the source sheet with Safaria. It's a very handy tool. Um, and uh, um, so we're going to, just as an introduction, to jump into this topic of the personal behavior of rabbis as a source of halakha and Torah. Um, we're going to learn a tiny piece from Masechet um, Brachot about uh, the topic of the discussion is whether or not you can, you can say um, the evening prayers, the Amidah of Arvit, um, before um, uh, nightfall. So um, there's a there's a, a machloket um, between Tanaim. What is the final point until when someone can say mincha? And this affects from what time you can say arvit. So if um, so, the dispute is between Rabbi Yuda and Chachamim. Chachamim say you can daven mincha until the evening, 
But Rabbi Yehuda says, until plag hamincha, which is kind of a, a measure of time before, before, uh, before the evening, before nightfall. Um, so there's a time of evening that you can actually no longer say tefillat mincha, according to Rabbi Yehuda. Um, and the assumption is that after that time, um, even before nightfall, then uh, according to Rabbi Yehuda, you can daven uh, arvit. Um, so we're not going to get into these, this discussion, but what is important is how the discussion of the Gemara um, progresses and what uh, materials are brought as proof for the halachic discussion. So we're going to start with the question. Uh, so the, the Gemara brings a quote from the Mishnah, and then there's a question. So, right, the quote is... Um, that the rabbis say that mincha is until the evening, but Rabbi Yehuda, this isn't brought here, Rabbi Yehuda says until plaga mincha, until this moment before, before the evening. Amar le Rav So Rav Chista said to Rav Yitzchak, Hatam amar Rav Kahana alacha ki Rabbi Yehuda, ho'ilutnan bivchirata kivatei. Hacha mai. So in the case of Shacharit, that is over there, um, we have a statement by Rav Kahana that halacha is like Rabbi Yehuda for a certain reason. But what is the case with Arvit? Ishtik, velo amarlei, velo midi. So he was silent and he did not say anything. Amar Rav Chista, nechzei anan. Rav Chista said, let us see. Midirav, metzalei shel Shabbat, be'erev Shabbat, mib'od yomim. Shma mina halacha ki Rabbi Yehuda. So let us see, what is the proof? that Rav Chista brings. He brings a proof from the personal practices of Rav, the Amora Rav. Rav would daven um, uh, the evening Shabbat prayer, Arvit of Shabbat, on Erev Shabbat before, um, in a sense, before nightfall. Um, so because Rav would do this, we should infer from this Shmamina that the halacha is like Rabbi Yehuda. But then the Gemara brings a contradicting source, Adiraba. On the contrary, Midravhuna the Rabbanan, Lohavu Mitzalu Ad Urta, Shmamina, Enalachaki Rabbi Yehuda. So on the contrary, we have a, an opposing source, and the opposing source says, What is the opposing source? It's not a it's not a, a bright, it's not a statement, it's another um, personal practice, Ravhuna. And Rabbanam, the sages, they would not uh, pray Arvit until nightfall. So we should learn from this, we should infer from this, that the halacha is not like Rabbi Yehuda. So what we have here within the um, Talmudic discussion are two opposing personal practices. One, that of Ra, who would daven um, the Shabbat prayer on uh, Erev Shabbat, before um, before Shabbat came in, and then the opposing practice of Rav Huna and the sages who would only pray Arvit when nightfall came. Um, and these opposing practices uh, make it unclear if Halacha is like Rabbi Yehuda or if Halacha is not like Rabbi Yehuda. So then the Gemara concludes, Hashta deloit marhil cheta, lo kemar velo kemar. So now that there, there was no halacha that was stated explicitly, not like um, one position, not like another position, the avad kemar avad, the avad kemar avad. So whoever 
um, practices or performs acts like one sage that is legitimate and is a legitimate practice and whoever practices like a different sage that is also a legitimate practice. Um, and what's fascinating about this sugya, about this piece is that all of the proofs are not, um, um, they're not memrot, um, they're not statements, they're not breitot, they're not Tanaitic teachings. The proofs are, these two opposing proofs are the personal practice of one rabbi versus the personal practice of another rabbi. And when the Gemara says, whoever performs like one rabbi has performed legitimately, and whoever performs like another rabbi has performed legitimately, it's not um, referring to people performing according to a certain psak, according to a certain ruling, but it's people performing based on a different rabbi's practice. So people who are performing the halakha are in a sense imitating or practicing exactly what the previous, these two opposing rabbis practice themselves. Um, I'm just going to look at the chat. Okay. Okay. So, um, and this is, so this is a segue into, um, uh, I'm going to now stop the share screen. Um, okay. So this sugya is a segue into um, the topic that I'm researching now, um, which is the place of um, uh, traditions of personal behavior in halachic fabric of discussion in the Gemara. Um, these were two in Masechet Brachot, in a small sugya. So I've gone through, now I can uh, tell you just a, some uh, just broad data. Masechet Brachot and the Bavli and the Yerushami and the Mishnah and Tosefta. Together, they have 272 traditions of personal um, rabbinic behavior. And they, in a sense, um, they are almost um, invisible in the sense that we almost don't even notice that they're there. They're just part of the Talmudic discussion. They're woven through the discussion. We don't, they're brought in with the same language sometimes as um, other building pieces of uh, the Talmudic sugya. Um, but they're different. They're different in their very nature in that they are a supposed report or recording of what rabbis did. And they are not any, um, they're not statements or rulings. Um, and they portray the rabbis as, in a sense, um, individuals. They're not, the rabbis are not portrayed as um, authorities um, giving rulings. The rabbis are portrayed as individuals who are themselves performing and living out um, the normative life that halacha um, or that what they perceived halacha expected of them. Um, and they are uh, creating halacha with their very actions. And that is part of the, um, the power of these uh, traditions of personal behavior through the personal behavior of rabbis, halacha is created. Um, and uh, this very different kind of Talmudic material 
um, that is a building block of rabbinic uh, of rabbinic discussions and rabbinic discussions specifically of halacha um, um, reveal to us a different kind of dimension, a new dimension of rabbinic study and of what it meant to train and to learn to be a rabbi. Um, it wasn't only um, to sit on court and to give uh, rulings for others. Um, it was to perform and to be a student meant to observe other rabbis performing, to observe one's teachers performing, um, and to study traditions about what other rabbis did. Um, and this kind of study is not, does not happen, it's not um, uh, happen through the mouth and the ears, um, but it happens through the eyes. And through living um, and following rabbis, uh, in their real life. So um, we, it's, we know that, 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 the, that all rabbinic literature is Torah Shebel It's oral Torah. Um, it happened without books. The Mishnah wasn't written. Um, the Gemara was discussed. Um, all of these traditions were memorized and discussed. So when we think about learning that is oral, um, we think about discussion and reciting and arguing, which is all happening with our mouths, with their ears. Um, but this kind of learning is also um, something that is happening in a world without books, um, but it's happening through the eyes and through uh, real life um, and kind of embodied reality. So first of all, um, these uh, traditions portray the rabbis as uh, authorities in a different way. They're authorities in the way that they lived out um, a life, a rabbinic life, which was kind of a life of halacha, what was perceived as a life of halacha. But um, uh, it actually gets more complicated or more interesting, I think, because a lot of these traditions are not so simple in the way that they portray the rabbis. Um, um, and we're going to see this uh, momentarily. So as we're learning the other uh, traditions that are going to focus around uh, Rabbi Yehuda Nasi, um, we're going to see two sugyot that bring three different traditions about Rabbi Yehuda Nasi, um, and they weave among them also other traditions of other rabbis um, that are connected to it. I want us to think um, what really is the weight or authority um, that is ascribed to the rabbi's behavior. Um, how much is he a figure of authority? Um, how much does he represent what is halakha? Um, how much is he a role model? Um, or is this something else? Um, and um, um, so let's uh, dive in. Uh, so I'm sharing my screen again. So let's see the first uh, piece from the Yerushalmi. These are pieces that are both, because they're about Rabbi Udanasi, I think um, because he's such a central figure, these traditions appear uh, both in the Bavli and in the Yerushalmi. Um, so we're going to try to briefly cover them and also see if there are, we can notice sometimes some differences. Um, so we're starting with the Yerushalmi and Brachot. This is about Kriyat Shema. Um, 
And there's discussion in the Gemara, how much Kavanah is necessary, until what stage is Kavanah necessary when reciting Shema. Um, so there's a statement by Bar Kapara, who says, Bar Kapara Amar, En lach tzarich Kavanah, Ela shlosha psukim arishonim bilvad. So only the first three verses of Kriyat Shema need Kavanah. And from then on, there's no need for Kavanah. Um, so there's also a Braita that says this, that um, the word Vashinantam in the first uh, passage of Shema, from that moment, there's no need for Kavana anymore, just for a kind of recitation without Kavana. Um, uh, I think the assumption is that it's hard to achieve Kavana in the entirety of Shema, and so we focus our Kavana just on the beginning. Um, and what's fascinating is in the Gemara, there's this jump from the requirement of Kavanah to the very requirement of uh, reciting Shema um, um, as something that Rabbi Yudan Asi did not recite the full passages of Shema. So here we go. Rav Sha'il Rabbi Chia Rabba. So Rav asked Rabbi Chia Rabba. I do not see, I have not seen ever Rebbe, Rabbi Udanasi, ever accept upon himself which is a different way of saying, I've never seen him say the Shema. So Rav and Rabbi Chia are students of Rabbi Udanasi. And they're with him, they perhaps maybe even live with him. They're with him from um, dawn until the end of the day. They're studying with him. They're following him. And Rav says to Rabbi Chia, you know, I never saw Rabbi say Shema. He never said it. So what does he say? Amar So he says to him, no, no, no. He doesn't not at all all say Shema. He doesn't not at all accept upon himself When you see him put his hands on his face, this is happening kind of in a moment, that is when he accepts upon himself That is when he accepts upon himself the yoke of the kingdom of heaven. And the assumption is presumably this is something extremely short. He's probably only saying the first verse um, at a moment, just like putting his hand on his face, saying Shema, and then continuing in his day, um, continuing in his studying, continuing in his teaching, continuing in his um, um, perhaps other um, public affairs that he um, carries on. So this does not seem to be a satisfactory answer because we know that there are three parashiyot of Shema. When does he say the rest? Um, so Rav asks Rabbi Chia, and so Rav's question is more minor. But there's a mitzvah to, to mention the exodus from Egypt every day. When does he do that? Um, so let's say he shortens Shema. He just says a shortened version of Shema, which is already kind of interesting that Rabbi Yudana, see the compiler of the Mishnah, does not say the entire Shema. But what about um, Yitzhak Mitzrayim? What about the Exodus? 
So uh, the answer is, Amar Lei, Rabbi Chia answered, So it, it can't be that the matter does not come up. Basically what Rabbi Chia is saying is, in his teaching, he makes mention of Yetziat Mitzrayim in the course of his Torah study. And that is enough for um, Yetziat, for the mitzvah of mentioning Yetziat Mitzrayim. So um, I'm going to pause here for a moment. This is the core, the, the kernel of traditional personal behavior. So this tradition is longer than the ones we've seen in the first source. It's a dialogue between Rav and Rabbi Chia, two students of Rabbi, um, discussing what they're observing. And um, if you see also in the uh, first, uh, in the question and in the answer, we have the root chame. Leina chame, I do not see and when you see him, when you observe him. And the chame um, in the Yerushalmi, it means to see. Um, and um, uh, it, it highlights the place of uh, observing and examining the personal behavior of uh, Rabbi, Rabbi, the great teacher, um, that both Rav and Rabbi Chia are occupied in while they're studying Torah from him. They're not only listening to what he says, they're also staring at him and looking at what he does. Um, and what's interesting for the question of um, Rabbi Yudana as a role model is that it's really not clear what kind of role model he is because we know that um, regular people are supposed to say the full Shema. Um, so um, uh, what is Rabbi Yudanasi modeling here um, if he does not recite Shema or if he recites some kind of bare minimum of what uh, the requirement of Shema is? Um, and uh, the Yerushalmi doesn't end here. There's then a continuation of a discussion of two Amora'im about the behavior of Rebbe that is recorded in this tradition of the dialogue between Rav and Rabbi Chia. So the next part is, Rebbe Taviyumi, Sha'ale Rabbi Chizkiya, Leitada Amara, She'en lach tzarich kavana ela pasuk harishon bilvad. So Rabbi Taviyumi and Rabbi Chizkiya are taking this back taking the actions of Rabbi Yudana, see, they're not inferring from this that no one has to say Shema. They're inferring from this something more minor about Kavana. Perhaps if Rabbi Yudana, see, in fact, never really said more than the first verse, perhaps this means that at least us regular people who do say the entirety of Shema, we don't need Kavana for the entirety of Shema, just, we just need Kavana for the first verse. We just need full intention for the first verse. Um, and, but even that is too far. So, you've blurred it, you went too far. No, it's until we need Kavanah for the first three psukim. We basically cannot infer anything from what Rabbi Yudanasi is doing. Um, and um, uh, what he is doing is uh, extremely. Uh, idiosyncratic in a sense, it's unique, it's standing on its own. Um, 
not only do we need to recite all of Shema, but we need Kavanah for much more than Rabbi, three times more than what Rabbi Udanasi actually said. Um, okay, so, uh, Someone said that my speech comes across as muddy and not clear or precise. Is that, are other people hearing me okay? Okay, great. Um, so if there are any questions at this moment, uh, you're welcome to ask. Um, we can continue with the Bavli, if there are no questions. Um, and if you're an attendee and not a panelist, first, uh, Please feel free to accept the invitation to panelists. And second, if you select the raise your hand icon, I can uh, get Dr. Korn's attention so you and give you the ability to uh, ask questions. Okay, so I'm going to continue with the Bavli, assuming there are no questions, um, but really feel free to jump in. Um, and we're going to see how the Bavli, the Bavli is working with this tradition. Um, but it uh, develops it somewhat. So first of all, um, uh, in the Bavli, there's a Baita, Tanu Rabbanan, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Eloheinu Hashem Echad, Ad Kan Tzricha Kavanat Halev, Divrei Rabbi Meir. So we now have a position of Rabbi Meir that um, it's not, uh, it doesn't, it's not as extreme as what Rabbi Yudanasi did, that we don't need to say more than Shema Yisrael, Hashem Eloheinu Hashem Echad, but that until at this point, uh, there's a, a requirement of kavanat talev, of intention of the heart. Um, and after the first verse, there is no more any need for uh, kavanat, for intention. These are the words of Rabbi Mary, and Rava says that the halacha is like Rabbi. And then we have another bright that turns the actions of Rabbi Yudanasi into kind of a more um, normative kind of statement um, or uh, it's interesting what 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 is the nature of this bright exactly? Tanu Rabbanan Shema Yisrael Hashem Eloheinu Hashem Echad Zokriat Shema Shel Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. So Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi's practice is now formulated as a bright. Huh? Um, is this ideal? It's unclear. This is what he did, so that's what it was. Um, and now we have the conversation between Rav and Rabbi Chia. Amar lei Rav Rabbi Chia. So again, it's a similar statement. I didn't, I never saw Rabbi accept upon himself the kingdom of heaven. So a similar answer when he passes his hands on his face, that is when he accepts upon himself um, the kingdom of heaven. And now we have a, a discussion that's a discussion of the practices of Rabbi Yudanasi. It's a Talmudic discussion of the personal behavior. And the Gemara asks, And this is, we know this style from other kinds of um, Talmudic discussions, but in this case, the style is not about a certain theoretical question. It's about what um, was the practice of Rabbi. Um, does Rabbi, does Rabbi Udanasi um, go back afterwards at a certain point and actually he does recite the entirety of Shema or does he not? 
Um, um, so, uh, and already here, we also, in this very question, there is also kind of a, um, a mitigating of the extremity of, of Rabbi Yodanasi's uh, um, practice. It's kind of apologetic. Well, maybe he doesn't say it at the moment, but perhaps maybe there's a, maybe there's a position that he goes back and he does recite it at the end. He just doesn't do it right away. So there's a machloket about what Rabbi Yudanasi did. And these are two, these two sages that are um, disagreeing were students of Rabbi Yudanasi. Rabbi Yudanasi does not go back and finish Shema. That was what he said. And that was what he said. Rabbi Shimon Barabi Omer, his son said, Rabbi Shimon Barabi, Rabbi Shimon, the son of Rabbi, he does return, go back and say it. So it's also interesting. This seems like a theoretical dispute, but um, a student versus a son disputing what Rabbi Yudanasi did, it's kind of interesting because we would think that maybe um, this is information that we just should have uh, knowledge about. But but it turns into a source of, uh, of dispute. Uh, and it could be that this dispute is, is not, uh, it's kind of um, um, uh, created in this way, um, not, didn't necessarily actually happen. Um, so, uh, so we have two positions. One is that Rabbi Yehudanasi did finish it, and one is that he didn't. Uh, so Bar Kapara said to Rabbi Shimon, the son of Rabbi, so it makes sense. This is Talmudic style. Just it's Talmudic style instead of for a source, for a, a baraita or a memra. This is for a um, personal practice. It makes sense for me that I say he does not return and. Uh, finish it and complete uh, the Shema. That is why Rebbe, um, he, he goes after, he, he seeks after uh, a teaching, a Shema'ata, uh, that mentions Yetziat Mitzrayim. So in a sense, what Bagapara is saying to Rabbi Shimon Bar Rebbe is that every day, Rabbi Yudanasi, in his teaching, would find a teaching that had to do with Yetziat Mitzrayim, with the Exodus. Why did he do this? He did this because he had a mitzvah to mention the exodus he did not happen to do it in shema because he didn't say shema so um he did it after during his during his teaching but for your position so uh says to rabbi shimon according to your position that you say that he does finish it um why why would he if he does finish Shema, why does he need to every day make sure that he does te uh, he, he teaches a teaching that has to do with the Exodus? So the answer that is given is So it is to um, to mention Yetziat Mitzrayim at its appointed time, uh, probably at a certain time in the morning, um, the time of Kiryat Shema. There's assumption that we have to mention Yetziat Mitzrayim. So um, what's What's interesting is that from the tradition in the Yerushalmi that uh, Rabbi, Rabbi Yudanasi 
only such my well first of all the the first thing that we saw is that rob says i never saw him station then we have this apologetic uh, explanation or perhaps not apologetic but kind of an explanation that he actually does say shmai just only says the first pasuk as he's passing his hands on his face okay we get to then and then and then there's this um uh another kind of explanation well then he he says it's yet he mentions it's yet mitzvah through his teaching okay then in the babli we already get to uh an even um uh justification or explanation or kind of rephrasing almost or re, re um retelling of the practice of rabbi you're gonna see that he actually well he didn't say it at its appointed time he just said the first basuk but then afterwards he did finish saying shema and also he um had a teaching about it's time to say it's in a sense to put the rabbi more in a normative sphere of keeping the halacha of Kriyach. So this is to say, it's very interesting to notice how much Rabbi, Rabbi's actions are not, he cannot serve here as a role model. He's clearly not serving as a role model to how someone should say Kriyach. But then what is he a model for? And why is his um, behavior mentioned? Um, and how does he serve the rabbis as a source of halakha, even when his very actions cannot actually be emulated. So in the Yerushalmi, we saw there was an attempt to infer from it about kavanah. In the Babri, this becomes clear. Um, and now we have an actually even stronger inference of halakha from rabbis' actions regarding kriyachma of the night. So, um, so the, uh, the next piece of the Gemara infers from this. Uh, in the name of Rav said, if someone says the first pasuk, and falls asleep, He's exhausted or she's exhausted. And they, they are so tired and they have such a long day. And they need to say Shema at night. They say the first Pasuk and they just fall asleep. And um, if this happens to them, yes, they fulfill their obligation. And this is connected to what Rebbe did. So in a sense, he is. His actions are modeling perhaps what halacha could be. And now we have two models of rabbis, Babylonian sages, who acted in this very way. So Rav Nachman said to a slave, um, a lot of these traditions mention slaves as part of the people accompanying the rabbis, and it's troubling for, uh, um, I'm just going <laughs> to, mentioned because there is a lot of mentioning of slaves um uh, but we, we're not going to get into that now um so Rav Nachman would tell Daru his slave so in the first verse disturb me or pain me um meaning wake me up if I 
if I fall asleep in the middle of the first verse, wake me up. But if um, um, I fall asleep after the first verse, do not, um, just don't disturb me. Just let me sleep. So in a sense, Rav Nachman is saying, I am tired. I said the first verse of Shema. That is enough. I was, I fulfilled my obligation. If I fall asleep after that first verse, don't wake me up. Just let me sleep. I'm very, very tired. Um, and we have a second tradition of personal um, behavior that is tied to this um, and has a similar practice. Amarli Rav Yosef. So Rav Yosef asked Rav Yosef, the son of Rabbi, So he asks him, how did your father practice? What was his practice? In the first verse, he would trouble himself. He would disturb himself. In the first verse, he would trouble himself. He would make sure that he would say it, even if he was really tired. Um, but then after that, he would not trouble himself. If he fell asleep, he fell asleep. Um, so something that is um, uh, interesting, um, these two uh, traditions of personal behavior, they're grouped together. Um, often traditions of personal behavior are, are appearing in groups. Um, we saw in the first sugya also, we have the opposing traditions of personal behavior of the two rabbis who uh, prayed either before uh, nightfall or after nightfall. Um, here we have two practices that are very similar, um, that are one after the other. Um, and they are in a sense, an enactment of the theoretical statement that um, was said in the name of Rav, um, that if someone says, and falls asleep, they fulfill their obligation. We see this um, lived out. We see this lived out by the rabbis. Um, so we could say, okay, here the rabbis are modeling what is the halacha, right? I mean, that is what's happening. Uh, the rabbis are uh, enacting the stated halacha. But what's interesting, I think, or important to point out, is that what they're the behavior that they're modeling is, um, it's, not, um, um, it's not necessarily the kind of behavior that perhaps we might have expected of a great rabbinic sage um, um, and or of a great religious figure of authority. Um, the behavior that, that they're modeling is of people of flesh and blood who are tired after a long day and they fall asleep. And they are totally content with just saying the first pasuk and fulfilling their obligation, even if it's not the lechatchila way the right, the preferred way, the ideal way of saying kriyachma. They are clearly not saying kriyachma in the ideal way. And yet they're fine with that. And the Gemara is bringing these um, traditions um, and using them to show that this is halakha. Um, so um, uh, perhaps the rabbis here are serving as role models, but it's really interesting to think about what 
kind of role models they are and whether or not they're how different are they from what perhaps contemporary um, Jews expect of rabbis today and of the type of behavior that they should be modeling. Um, um, okay, so we have 10 more minutes. Um, if anyone has questions, I'd love to hear just comments or thoughts or observations. Um, and if you have a question, but you're not sure how to make yourself seen, please take advantage of the raise hand icon and I'm sending around promotions to panelists so you can also ask them face to face. All right, Joan, please speak up. Uh, I uh, love what you're talking about because it really, I love the flesh and blood human quality of these people, uh, of them as people. And it, um, instead of thinking that a role model is somebody who you aspire to be like in, in terms of making yourself uh, superhuman, it's okay to be human. I think that's really a lovely lesson. Thank you. Yeah, I agree. I, I really, I really um, appreciate these, uh, these traditions, the ones that, especially because of that, yeah. Um, okay, so uh, any more questions or comments, just thoughts? And if you're watching on Facebook and you have any comments, yeah, please feel free to ask them in the chat. I will uh, ferry them along. Okay. So I'll just say one more thing, connect to what Joan said. Um, if we think, so this is kind of uh, at, the, at the same time period of the, of the, um, of the Bavli and Yushalmi, um, there are uh, starting, there's a, a genre that starts um, in, the, in the Christian world and contemporary Christian world um, that are called hagiographies. Um, which is something that uh, you might be familiar with just in general, the idea of a hagiography is the telling of uh, lives of holy people for them. And usually in hagiographies, the standard is that um, uh, the holy men and women that are being described are, are an almost angelic. They're not, they're not flesh and blood. They, they are, they, fast all the time. They're never tired. They are, they, they, they wear the scratchiest clothing and um, they sleep on thorns. And, um, um, and what, what is really, um, what I really love about, I mean, they're just, they're the examples that I brought to you about um, rabbis being tired and they're so, they're so brief, but they contain so much about the ethos of what it means to be a rabbi and what it means to model halakha, and also the range of what halakha can offer, um, that, um, that it's okay, it's okay to be tired and to just say the first verse. Um, and um, uh, I, I, I really, um, um, I really like them because of that. Uh, they really express a different kind of mode of, uh, of authority and of religiosity. Um, 
Okay. So we don't have a lot of time. Um, so I'm just going to uh, um, look at the last, the last tradition briefly. Um, and uh, so the last tradition is, is actually made up of several. So the last piece actually has three different traditions in it. Um, so one of them is connected to the discussion. There's a discussion about what to do with tefillin um, when, uh, when someone goes to sleep at night. Where do they put it um, in their room so that to keep it because it's a holy object. Um, so uh, there's a tradition that about Rabbi, again, Rabbi Shmuel Rabbi Abao, Rabbi Elazar, Shem Rabbi Hanina. So this string of uh, rabbis says about Rabbi, Rabbi, Rabbi Aya tole et atfilin b'merashot hamita. So Rabbi would uh, hang his tefillin uh, at, the, at the headboard of the bed, not at the feet, but at the head. And this, is, this uh, goes in accordance with the statement that was stated just before that uh, one should hang their tefillin in the head of the bed and not at the foot of the bed. Um, um, and uh, what's interesting is that in the Babli, this is formulated somewhat differently, and this is seen as just um, a scandal um, uh, because it does not go in accordance with the halakha that the Babli uh, assumes that Babli knows. So Rabbi Hanina says, I saw Rabbi uh, hang his tefillin. And, but this is a challenge from a brighta. So someone who hangs their tefillin, it's as if it's kind of a form of blasphemy almost. It's like real, uh, a degrading treatment of tefillin. Someone who hangs their tefillin, their life should be hung. Um, uh, and and this there's this striking contradiction between the tradition that is ascribed the personal practice of Rebbe that we that we also see in the Yerushalmi, and what the Babli, um, the rabbis of the Babli, um, know that is the, the tradition that they have about what is supposed to be proper treatment of tefillin. Um, so what happens that is interesting is that a similar process to the the personal practice of Rabbi um, that, that uh, um, the rabbis of the Gemara do to, um, uh, to earlier sources, to Mishnayot and to um, Tanetic teachings, um, they start to reinterpret them and they start to say, no, it really wasn't like this, it was like this. So, um, so first, uh, there is an attempt to say, So first of all, perhaps it is not difficult because one source spoke about the straps, hanging the straps, and one source spoke about hanging the, the box of the tefillin itself. But then we have a different option. And if you want, you should say, So both the strap and the, and the um the boxes of the tefillin, it's prohibited to uh, hang them. So Rebbe, when he hung his tefillin, it was actually in 
uh, a pouch. It, he didn't. He didn't hang his feeling. It can't be what what Rabbi Hanina is saying. Couldn't really be. Couldn't really be what happened. Rather, must be that Rabbi hung it in a pouch. Um, uh, and then they say, well, then what is that? Why is that something so great that needs to be recorded? And and they have an explanation. Um, so um, what? Uh, one of the, so this is just the final thing that I'll say about the traditions of personal behavior. Um, I'm going to stop the share screen. Um, that we saw in, uh, in these uh, sources um, is uh, the levels of discussion of the traditions themselves. So we have discussion within the tradition itself. Two rabbis that are observing their teacher talking about what he did and why it was or wasn't okay. We have discussion of later Amora'im um, discussing the tradition, uh, what we can learn from it. Did he finish or did he not finish the Shema? Um, can we induce, can we um, deduce any kind of halakha from this? And then we have a discussion of the stam of the Gemara, just the editors of the Gemara, um, um, talking about or, or refuting or uh, being um, uh, um, just uh, uh, shocked by what the tradition uh, states that the, the rabbi did and trying to reinterpret it or justify it or, uh, or actually retell what happened um, um, uh, in uh, according to that will make sense with what they know is the right Allah. Um, so, uh, um, in the next, uh, uh, classes, um, we're going to see different kinds of, uh, traditions of personal behavior. Um, we're going to see ones, uh, that rabbis, uh, criticize each other harshly. Um, and we're going to see ones in which rabbis are, um, kind of, uh, um, treated more, put on a pedestal or, or just, uh, being yearned there that they're, their behavior is being yearned for to know what they did. Um, and um, I just hope that this was uh, just a teaser to show how rich these traditions are and how much uh, I hope that next time you open up a page of Talmud and you find or you see a tradition of personal behavior, that it will jump out at you. You will notice more how much the Gemara uh, is really full of these traditions and they serve as another um, piece of uh, rabbinic materials and of the building blocks of this world. Um, thank you. And uh, if there are any questions, you're on mute, Kaila. Again, if you want to ask a question and you're not able to, maybe you're an attendee, uh, please raise your hand. Um, if you and um, Dr. Gorn, if people have any questions and they want to get say get in touch with you after class, do you have an email address that they can that people can reach you at? Oh yes, I do. Um, it is. Uh, should I put it in the chat or uh, yes, should please. I tell it to? Okay, it's sure. yadidakoren at gmail.com. Okay. Um, Yadida is with an H, and that's uh, one word. And uh, feel free to contact. And also, if you're like, if you, you're like, oh, I had a question for Dr. Corrin, and you don't remember the email, you can also contact us at inquiry.grisha.org, and we're happy to pass along our message. Um, otherwise, it's been a big pleasure to have Dr. Corrin back.
and it's also good to have so many familiar faces back for the post face off classes it's glad to not have you lost you and if you're still maybe you still might be on like a bit of pace off vacation physically or mentally but it's glad to have you have you here everyone here um this the next session of this class will be next monday night on on may yes yeah we'll be in may by then Oof. may second second may second same time 8 p.m eastern and if you're interested in more upcoming post off learning, you can find the full schedule of Grisha's classes at grisha.org slash classes. And we would end. In fact, our next upcoming class, What is Talmud Torah for Approaches Among the Akronim, starts tomorrow at 1 p.m. Please note, this class will be taught in Hebrew. All right, but otherwise, it's been a pleasure to see everyone. Pleasure to learn with you again, Dr. Crane, and have a good evening.